Um, hi. Um, yeah, I feel like most people here know me, um, but if you don't, or if you've forgotten, um, I'm Gilbert. Um, hey, Jono. <laughs> I use um, he, him pronouns, and I hail from Marburg in Queensland, um, which is the unceded country of the Jagora, Yugora, and Ugaropal First Nations. Um, yeah, I've lived in Wellington for four years and spent about two of them here at Blueprint. Yeah, tenakoto katoa. Um, as Danian reminded me, um, this is kind of the end of, um, kind of the Transgender Week um, Awareness Week. Um, and so I thought it would be a cool opportunity to kind of, yeah, speak into my testimony as um, a queer person um, and a Christian and someone for whom those kind of yeah, those, that self-knowing um, has, has been very closely intertwined. Um, yeah, so I wanted to actually start with a reading from Paul's letter to the Colossians, um, partly because I had a Baptist upbringing and that's a done thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, mostly because it frames what I want to talk um, about tonight really well. Um, so a reading from Colossians 3, um, verses 9 to 15, living as those made alive in Christ. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Yeah. So to start at the start, um, I came to faith just about the time that I realised something was kind of up with my gender. Um, so I thought I'd talk tonight about how these two strands of identity, of selfhood and self-knowing, twine throughout um, the story of my life and are interwoven with each other. Um, I can't tell the story of my faith without talking about my queerness, and I definitely can't talk about my queerness without talking about God and faith. And to me this is a really beautiful, strange gift and something that I'm still kind of coming to terms with. Um, and which often blows me away with its hugeness and generosity. Um, yeah, I really feel like mine is a story of grace and of God kind of bringing me properly alive. Um, so yeah, for some background, I grew up in a big old house on the edge of a little old country town, um, about an hour inland from Brisbane. Um, as a kid, I went to the local Baptist church until my parents left the faith, and I decided I wanted to sleep in on a Sunday. Um, from 13 to 17, my sister and I commuted every day to a Presbyterian Methodist uh, girls-only school in the big city of Brisbane. Um, and until I was at least 14, I had never actually heard the word transgender. Um, I do remember being about 10 or 11 when I asked my mom to cut my hair short. Um, and I remember asking, what if people think I look like a boy? Um, <laughs> but obviously, um, like inside, I was kind of longing for it. Um, all the books I read, read a lot as a kid, um, if that is surprising. Um, <laughs> um, all the books I read kind of had girls who cut their hair and joined the navy, or like ran off to hunt dragons. Um, <laughs> so good. 
yeah, it's, it's a whole genre. I will take the father's place in the war um, sort of thing. And I was always really disappointed um, at the reveal at the end when like Mulan lets down her hair and everyone's like, oh, she's a girl. Um, and yeah, goes back to being a girl. Because um, for a while, these girls had been something I didn't have a name for at the time, but I now um, realize as um, free. These girls had gotten out and I didn't really understand why they wanted to go back in. Uh, with the benefit of hindsight, recognize this as um, a very large sign. <laughs> but I didn't have the language for any of this, so I just sort of chugged along for a while, um, feeling a lot, but not knowing what any of it meant. At the same time, I knew all the Bible stories from growing up with parents whose families are very religious, um, but I had no real relationship with God myself. Uh, my sister kept her faith, though, and after she moved out of home, she'd send me long, handwritten letters um, from uni, talking about all kinds of things, but never forgetting to mention God. And she'd often, like, enclose little Bible verses or, like, shivvy me back towards church or tell me about worship music she loved. And I got so annoyed. I was like, we are here having a meaningful connection, like, keeping this relationship going, and you keep insisting on bringing God back into it. Um, I was, like, genuinely very irritated. <laughs> but then, when I was 16, one of my favourite internet theologians talks about like, the different whys to doing faith, um, and one of them is faithing because God is right here and the bush is on fire. Um, and this kind of bush is on fire moment happened at, at, at Christian camp, a fact which I always feel slightly apologetic about. <laughs> I wasn't Christian at the time, but my aunt had said she'd pay for it, and it's up in the mountains, and my sister was on my ass about it, um, so I went. Um, and they gave us these big booklets that were, um, we were supposed to work through um, throughout the week. And one section had Bible verses um, for various things that um, people might be going through, whether that was anger, or grief, or exam stress, or wondering why God allows suffering, like, kind of the whole spectrum. Um, so I went and sat on the veranda of this big old conference center in the bush, and I started reading. I don't actually remember what the question I was reading um, for, but the booklet directed me to Isaiah 40, which is towards the end of this very dense, poetic book full of apocalypse and politics, um, responding to its historical context, but at the same time telling this bigger story of restoration, um, about Jesus' birth and death and what that would mean for Israel and the world. So I read past the suggested section that said, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God, and into Isaiah 41, where God makes known his power and perfection. And then I got to Isaiah 41, verses 9 to 10, which says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I've thought a lot about what the words actually mean since, um, but at that moment it didn't actually matter what the verses said, because I got this overwhelming sense that 2,600 years ago, when God was speaking to the prophet Isaiah in this incredibly intimate, kanohi kite, kanohi, face-to-face way, um, God was also thinking about me, not in an abstract, all of humankind way, but about me, like this anxious, scraped knees Tom voice sitting on a veranda in the middle of the bush in the year 2018. Um, I have chosen you and have not rejected you, he said. 
And he was talking to the tribes of Israel, but he was also talking to me, who, yeah, 2,600 years ago, he had a plan for. How did I know all of this? I don't know, I just did. Like, it was just, like, very made clear to me. Um, everything, like, didn't kind of fall into place and become easy after that. But that was the moment I started walking back across the field to Jesus. I had read the words, but I'd also heard his voice and what was there to do um, with that but respond. The bush was on fire. At the same time, on the same camp, I hesitantly, in a very just asking for a friend way, um, <laughs> asked one of the leaders what Christianity had to say about um, transgender people. She looked at me blankly and in a voice that was very like, duh, um, said, that's not part of God's plan for the world. Yeah, a bit devastating. Um, and a little later, um, when I realized how the language of gender nonconformity fit my life and my experiences, I did the normal well-balanced thing and decided to turn to the Bible to figure out if this meant God hated me now. Um, which I kind of laugh about. There are funny, funnier ways to tell that story than I did. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like kind of devastating um, that the natural direction I flowed towards was not just expecting, but like actively seeking out condemnation. Um, as though I'd had this beautiful first blooming of relationship with God, and then I was like, well, it's all for nothing now. I felt like something in the process of becoming a good Christian woman had gone wrong. So yeah, I trawled through Paul's letters in particular, but also the Old Testament. Um, although I wasn't quite sure if I was looking for something to justify myself loathing or to allow me to be angry with God or the church or like what it was if I was looking for something to fight. Um, God was like so resistant to that. Like he just gave me nothing. Um, I found a few scattered references to same-sex sex that seemed to belong more to their cultural context than the deepest heart of Christ. And then the rest of what I found was this wild, warm, strange, and sometimes challenging, incredibly abundant love. In fact, I thought that it was kind of too much love. Um, it felt excessive, it felt inappropriate. <laughs> it was like sitting here full of anger and hurt and confusion and all the angst of being 16, but just with like 600% more. Um, and here was God like showing up smelling like deserts and petrichor and, and half saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And kind of, yeah, from that point, it's been a process of getting to know him and myself better. In 2021, um, I decided to medically transition. I kind of framed it to my doctor and my parents as just start on the lowest dose of tea and see what happens. And like pretty immediately, oh, yeah. I mean, it had been kind of these three years of back and forth with myself and with God. I wrote a lot of pros and cons lists um, that are very funny <laughs> in retrospect. Um, but yeah, I was finally ready. Um, it was a really intense time in a lot of ways. Um, but the thing that stuck out for me the most as pretty much as soon as like the tea hit my system was like how comfortable I felt. Like I had not even been hoping for the level of peace I felt because I didn't know that the level of peace I felt was something that humans could like feel, that I could even like look towards. Um, yeah, and then I was like, oh cool, this works and kind of went all in. Um, but yeah, it felt like putting on a new self, um, which at the same time was being renewed in knowledge in the image of my creator. 
yeah, I was talking to a friend recently about how lucky I feel to be someone who studied history and English literature. I don't know if you guys knew that. <laughs> um, and who also loves and serves a God of stories and words and history. Like the primary way our God communicates with us is through a big ass book, um, which is like lucky for me. <laughs> anyway, um, one of the really cool things um, about this academic training that I have um, is that it gives me a toolkit of understanding how stories and narrative like work on a kind of technical level. Um, and that allows me to not excuse tricky or confronting parts of the Bible, but to try and understand what it actually is as a text, um, as well as what it is as God's word. Um, the biblical scholar Dan McClellan talks a lot about how we're always negotiating with the text of the Bible, choosing what, um, not choosing, but thinking through and grappling um, what is relevant, um, what is the deepest heart of Christ, um, and what is cultural. Um, we, and we've always been doing this, this is not a, a new or woke thing to do. Um, yeah, the, the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God, but it's also a library of ancient texts from different places and time periods in different genres to different audiences to different purposes. Um, and I think it's important to just be like, 2023, Aotearoa is a different place from first century Palestine. Um, God is the same God, but the way that he talks to us and the situation that we're in is different. And I think that means that we can have serious conversations about the political and practical questions attached to the material lives of queer people and how we organize our churches and live out our personal um, and collective faith, and that these are important chats to have. Um, but those were never really the bits of the text that um, glowed for me. Um, what, what glows, yeah, is this, is this story woven densely through time and space, through the lives of fishermen and prostitutes and scholars and kings and crazy men eating locusts and sensible women trying to run households. Um, <laughs> this like wild, warm story of, of restoration um, and of right relationship. Um, this, is, this is what Helen has told me is my bad transition, but um, speaking <laughs> on the topic of glowing, um, I found this out quite recently. Um, my aunt told me that Gilbert, as a name, actually means bright promise, um, which I only found out after I chose it. Um, but one of the really cool things that being trans has helped me realise um, is that we can make everything matter, from kind of the clothes we wear, the symbolism of our names, and the ways we select embrace and reject various masculine and feminine scripts. I'm trying not to do gender theory, but it's, it's a bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a, a degree of deliberateness and clear-sightedness involved in just existing as a trans person, however you choose to embody that truth. Um, you can't just inherit these cultural packages called gender that we all get lumped with at birth. You actually have to unpack it and think about it. And this is a good thing to do, whether or not you are trans, um, but it's necessary and immediate for those of us who aren't cis. We look at what we have inherited and been given, and we're intentional about what stays and what has to transform. What does it mean to be a man, to be a woman, or to exist beyond the binary? For me, that question had a deeper level, not just what it means to be a man, but what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? And that question will be different for everyone. Um, but the process of asking these questions requires us as a community of faith to make space for people to be able to ask those questions, to find out what the question is, and for that question to reverberate, to bump around a bit before it comes back to the asker. Um, Daniel Mallory Ortberg 
tells the story of his friend Julian, who would say that God blessed me by making me transsexual for the same reason God made wheat but not bread, and fruit but not wine, so that humanity may share in the act of creation. And so for me, I chose to transition so that I could lay that kind of itchy, restless thing beneath my skin to rest so that I could move, move on, move through the world, loving and serving my communities and God without feeling covered by a blanket of dread and horror, sort of existential dampening of my senses of joy and liberation. I came that you should have life and have it to the full, Jesus said. And so I cannot, like I refuse to believe that that saviour, who has met me so tenderly, so consistently, through years of threadbare faith, blooming into the rich and wonderful relationship I have with him now, I can't believe that he truly desires me or anyone else to, to live um, hunched over um, in shame or, yeah, any sort of fear. So writing, yeah, writing about the musician Sofian Stevens, who is a queer man of faith, um, Sofian is so good. I was trying so hard, I'm like, do not just quote Sofian lyrics. Like, come up with So, a writer, Lexi McMenamin, um, which is a fabulous name, um, was writing about Stevens, and she said, queer people have always been asking big questions about life, death, justice, love, and meaning. Our capacity for yearning, our orientation around desire are endlessly instructive for survival. In the face of so much loss, we naturally seek out answers about whether the moral arc of the universe can ever truly bend towards justice. God's big yes to that question of justice is a big, big yes for all of us. Through Christ, God promises restoration and right relationship between each other and our planet, but also within ourselves. Transition for me has been um, a process um, not of coming out, but of coming in, into a restored, grounded relationship between me and God, and just between me and myself. That steadiness um, has allowed me to turn inwards and heal, so that I can then turn outwards and love. To love as big and weirdly and wholeheartedly as I possibly can, not out of obligation or fear, but out of sheer joy and gratitude, because I can because I have cast off that old self that made me live as I did and put on the new self, clothed in men's jeans and weird cardigans, <laughs> created in God's likeness. As we all are, none of us can prize apart the different parts of ourselves because it's all imago Dei, all made in their image. We sin, we fall short, we wander off, but our fundamental identity of being made in the image of God, reconciled by his blood, does not change. And so to see ourselves fully is an act of seeing God. And so we respond as Paul exhorts the Colossians to. Because this whole yarn of mine has been kind of big and wild and all over the place, I want to close with that reading again. It's reading from Colossians, chapter 3, verses 9 to 15. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, man or woman, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all, and Christ is in all. 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone else. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Amen.